Jones, 30, 35, 40, he's in midfield, and they'll never catch The Show Me Your News Network proudly presents Down the Sidelines. And now, representing the Michigan Wolverines and the West Virginia Mountaineers, you may know them as Yoko and I'm a Beast, it's Peter Stasia and Joel Orndorff. Welcome back to the Gridiron. I'm Peter. And I'm Joel. And Down the Sidelines is a sports podcast that debates and predicts the latest in the athletic world. We are part of the Show Me News Network, and this is the 63rd episode of the podcast on May 22nd, 2014. Number 63, worn by Gene Upshaw of the Oakland Raiders in the NFL, who eventually went on to be the leader of the NFLPA. Yep. Go figure. How have you been, Joel, these past couple weeks? Oh, good. Um, the weather's nicer. I like it. I could be outside, though. Um, I had like a little foot injury there for a while, so I've been able oh. to run the past couple of days, and it's like driving me crazy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I'm I'm up past fifty miles for this month, so oh, I'm good excited. for you. That's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I am one who does not like the warmer weather, so I feel <laughs> it setting in. Though I was down in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, and that is definitely I get. I now understand the dry heat. Mm-hmm. Because and, you know, I'm sure that yeah. humidity it's miserable. It's the worst. That just does <laughs> not really exist down there. No. And so, like an 85 degree day up here, miserable, humid. Ugh, it was 102 down there. Yeah, you could feel it. it. It had a weight to it, but it was not as overbearing as a humid day. And, you know, they still have the bugs. They have different kind of bugs, and they have, uh, you know, different kind of trees and stuff. But uh, I heard that you took in some of the sights and sounds there while you were there. Certainly did over at Chase Field, home of the Arizona Diamondbacks, where they run around the different legends of the Arizona Diamondbacks. You had Randy Johnson and Luis Gonzalez and Matt Williams. And who was the last one? Uh, I can... I'm going to picture him now. And they run around these these legends, kind of like, you know, the hot dog race over in is Pittsburgh that does the, the hot dogs and all that. I know <sighs> the Nationals, they do the... I want to say, yeah, yeah, they yeah they do those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the different sausage and... Anyway, it's it was an interesting stadium. It starts off at a closed roof because it's Arizona. It's blistering hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was interesting. It's the indoor baseball for a while. That wasn't a dome. Because it was a retractable roof. And we're driving past that like, oh, maybe that's the football stadium. Well, no, the Arizona Cardinals, they play in Glendale. Yeah. So and this is in Phoenix. Uh, and then it opened up later in the game while it was still hot. And you can see the heat waves that kind of get in front of the scoreboard. Uh, it was it was fun. Uh, Diamondbacks score a franchise record of runs. And they beat the Dodgers 18-7. to They rough up Clayton Kershaw. Gave up seven earned runs in one and two-thirds innings. Uh, it was... Was that was quite pretty, quite the score. <laughs> it was. It was it, it, we were kind of talking through Twitter. It just kind of like turned into a football game. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was, it was really fun. We had good seats, you know, near the front of the upper deck, right behind home plate. I mean, for 40 bucks a ticket, it was a pretty good decision. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, in the past couple of weeks in sports, we get some quick hits going here. Uh, last night showed us, actually it's two nights ago. Yeah, two nights ago, the... NBA draft lottery where the Cleveland Cavaliers who had a 1.7% chance to nab the number one pick from their ninth overall spot 
they got the first pick, and it's kind of weird, Joel. They don't show the lottery ball process anymore. They just have the envelopes. Do you think the NBA draft is rigged? Well, I, I'll say one thing. Uh, Cleveland and draft news just, like, blowing up Sports Center constantly. Um, there's, I don't know, it, it does kind of seem like a conspiracy right now. <clears throat> Um, but, uh, <clears throat> which kind of follows up on the, you know, the, what we talked about last time, but, uh, I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder because just that happened that many times recently. Was it within the four, like four year period? It happened three times. Yeah. So last year <clears throat> they had the number one pick. They took the kid out of, uh, NC state who just didn't do anything really this year. Just <clears throat> did not develop. And yeah, they took him and he was raw. Uh, meant for a you know power forward. The year before that, they didn't. But then, the year before that, and since that's in 2011, that was the Kyrie Irving pick. Yeah. So three of the last four years, it's going to be where the Cleveland Cavaliers had the number one pick in the NBA draft. It's the first time that the team has had back-to-back picks since like 92-93 with the Orlando Magic. I almost have to wonder. Is this the play? Because this is the summer where we get decision two of LeBron James. Mm -hmm. Is the run with the heat over? Does he want to come back to Cleveland? You have Kyrie Irving. You have another number one pick going their way. When you don't see the ping pong balls fall that way, is it the NBA trying to play that game to get LeBron back to Cleveland? Yeah, and and also uh, a lot, you know, most people believe what... uh, it's probably either Andrew Wiggins or Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. That's that's what I was. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise guessing. me if it is Embiid, uh, mm-hmm. because they need you know that stronger presence in the middle. They already have Kyrie Irving. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it would make too much sense to go with Wiggins. Yeah. Uh, but there are different you know mock drafts out there that are. Yeah, I mean you know you got to think like after watching some of the I mean he had a ridiculous game when he played here in Morgantown. Um, Embiid, you mean, or Wiggins? Uh, Wiggins, yeah. Wiggins, Wiggins. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it's tempting. You know, it's I like mean, both the same dynamics team, you know, the, both yeah. those Rock Chalk Jayhawks. Uh, you know, Wiggins had that ridiculous vertical. I'm sure you saw the picture. Mm-hmm. A 44-inch vertical. Didn't say if it was from a standstill or a running. Uh, that went over the internet. That was crazy to see. So, you know, we'll see how, how that all turns out. Uh, and then you have, oh, I think it's the Bucks with the number two pick, and then the Sixers with the number three pick. So between those three, you're, yeah, you're going to get Wiggins, you're going to get Embiid, and then Jabari Parker out of Duke. Uh, those are looking to be the top three that get to go. The Cavaliers rubs the Detroit Pistons the wrong way, though. <laughs> I'll tell you why. And you now speaking from your know, local perspective, like Metro Detroit area, uh, Detroit also makes the interesting splash of a move with coaches in terms of giving Stan Van Gundy, former Orlando Magic, former Miami Heat coach, give him the Phil Jackson special, the five years, $35 million contract, coach and president of basketball operations. Uh, They're just trying to wipe the slate clean. And kudos to Stan Van Gundy. I don't know who else the Pistons could have gotten with the... They've been ranked among the worst front offices and the worst positions to go to across the NBA when, you know, 
people are voting in the NBA. So it's a really bad deal to go to. So giving Stan Van Gundy the deal, I'm okay with it. You know, you have a raw you know, 21-year-old in Andre Drummond, who maybe Van Gundy can develop into a premier center like he tried to do with Dwight Howard. So possibilities yeah. there. The wheelings and dealings that the Pistons had recently, they were at a position where they had the eighth pick in this year's draft. Very deep draft. However, it was conditional. Only if the Pistons were in the top eight were they allowed to keep the pick. And it was worth the deal that they did with the Charlotte Bobcats, who are now officially the Charlotte Hornets again. Mm-hmm. It was a deal with them for, and get this, it was sending Ben Gordon to Charlotte in return for Corey Maggette. So... I know, premier players here. If the Pistons were not in the top eight based on their record, they would have to give up the pick to Charlotte. I'm sorry, not based on their record. If they were picking within the top eight. Yeah, yeah. If they were within the top eight with the draft order, they get to keep that pick. If not, they give it back to Charlotte. Detroit, going into the order with the records and all that in terms of percentages and all that, Detroit was sitting at number eight. Dangerous, but... Safe for the time being. Cleveland was at number nine. (laughs) So Cleveland, jumping up to number one, pushes Detroit back to number nine. Thus, they lose their first round pick. They have to give it to Charlotte because of the conditional of their trade. And they don't have a first round pick this year in Stan Van Gundy's first year. So we'll see what turns out of that. And that's, you know, the NBA's... Wheeling and dealing, <laughs> a little questionable based on the, the Detroit perspective. I don't know. I mean, being in Morgantown, what is there an NBA team that you pull for or you don't just really follow? I don't I mean, <clears throat> I guess it's kind of just whatever I like is really who I root for. Because really, if you look at locally... There just hasn't been as much success by a lot of those teams. And you know, a lot of people gravitate towards teams that are doing well. I mean, just jump on. Celebrities do that all the time. Just jump on whoever. I mean, Drake is a good example. <laughs> whoever is winning in basketball, he is rooting for them. He's going to break um, out the lint roller. So, you know, the Cleveland Browns are now his favorite team. Um, Bullshit. <laughs> That's terrible. I get Toronto. He's Canada. He did the whole. Was it Dar? No, it wasn't Daria. That's an animated show. Degrassi. He was in Degrassi. Degrassi. I'm like that was a Canadian show. I'm sure he's from Canada. His first name is Aubrey. Uh, I get the Toronto thing. Cleveland. Stop it. Yeah, he's he's crazy. Um, but I, I I don't know. Like I mean I you know I really liked the the Lakers dominance that they had there for a while. I'm not as much a fan of the more recent teams because, you know, they haven't been as good and people are trying to push them to be good, even though they're just they're clearly not going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I go more for storylines now in the NBA, which is why I really like to see the Clippers thing. Yeah. I mean, that was interesting. Um, you know, obviously didn't work out, but... Uh, no, it did not. I mean, I like I want uh, I want people to watch the championship game and that kind of thing. So like I I think I'd like to see the Thunder. I mean, right now it doesn't look like it, but you know, that's I, I think that's people want them to go clearly. Right. Um. So I I, I kind of just like pick and choose kind of thing. I mean, I didn't really I I didn't I really wasn't a big fan of uh, Cleveland when they had LeBron either. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, know. you're closer I'd to Pittsburgh. When probably it to when I was young, when I was young, the Michael Jordan teams, you know? Sure, <laughs> sure. Everybody was like that. Even during yeah. the Wizards days? Yeah. I was gonna say even even during the Wizards days, even during the Detroit days. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, you're closer to Pittsburgh, so you get the Steelers. As, yeah, it's, you know, it's State, not as. Yeah, but there's no basketball team in Pittsburgh, and you're not gonna do Philly. Yeah, and I mean, really, no, I like not really the biggest fan of the Celtics either. So I don't, you know, it's just kind of random for me. Very interesting. Now we'll get to talking about the NBA playoffs near the end of the show. Uh, but this just in, the U.S. men's national soccer team, uh, or football, as, as we, I mean, we like to cover American football, but this summer it's a big, big football yeah. in the World Cup really in, do. in Rio. But the U.S. men's national team for the World Cup this upcoming summer, they've determined their 23-man roster, and notably absent is... U.S. men's all-time leading scorer, Landon Donovan. Yeah. Uh, how, do you, how do you react to that news? Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of strange that he's absent on that list. So you have to look at... I think a lot of times when there's this kind of thing happens, you have to look at, like, who do you think kind of, like, took the spot? Or, like, who do you think kind of, like, mm-hmm. is on there that you necessarily wouldn't have picked yourself? I mean, like, we're not all experts in who should be on this team, but... No, this is true. Um, this is true. Um, I mean, you, you got to think one thing, you know, if there's one thing that he definitely has is experience. Like, even if it's not, like, the on-the-field presence, he's a leader, and, he, you know, he could definitely help uh, at a World Cup, I think, e- even if it's not on the field. So. Yeah, he's getting older. This would have been his last hurrah, and I, I totally agree. I think it's a missed opportunity in terms of leadership. Uh, he, those World Cup experiences, I mean, we all remember watching you know, the 2010 World Cup, the game where he gets that last you know minute goal. Was it against Ghana, Algeria, um, Al- Algeria? I think was it. Hmm. I say we all remember it, and then I remember it was an African team. We I remember the it, moment. We just don't yeah. remember who they were playing. I'm pretty sure it was Algeria, I, Algeria or Ghana, one of those two teams. The extra stoppage time, you know, nil-nil, you know, gets the goal to definitively put them to the next round. Uh, that was, it was one of his, you know, best moments. It was a definitive U.S. men's national soccer team moment. So, so he will not be there. That's that is unfortunate. And then uh, the baseball season continuing on, we're about 40 games deep. The uh, Detroit Tigers, with one of the best records in the league, did not expect that with a new manager and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, how are the Pirates doing? I haven't been following them um, too much. I think they're doing all right. Um, I can't remember what their overall record is right now. They do have a great Sports Center commercial with Andrew McCutcheon. Uh huh. Yeah. And I've been seeing that shirts have been made, at least in the local Pittsburgh area, that say, you know, plunder the locks. Uh, so, yeah. So go figure on that one. <laughs> Uh, but the difficulties continue on the injury front. A lot of Tommy John surgeries this year. Uh, notably going down is Marlins ace, Jose Fernandez, who is one of the best young arms in baseball, but he's going to you know, get Tommy John surgery. And it's causing more debate than you'd expect in 
you know, the baseball world right now. Mm -hmm. uh, just people talking about is, you know, are we teaching kids the right way to throw? Are we having them throw too much too young? Uh, is it really necessary to throw base or breaking balls at the little league level when you know they might not necessarily, you know, not know the motion to properly do so? Yeah. Um, so it is a tough they, situation right now. You're looking up the the Pirates record, then I take it. Yeah. No, they're. I think they're like 19 and 20 something. It's, oh really? Wow. Yeah. They're probably like. They'd probably be like fourth in the standings. Mm. There is a lot of time left in the season, so yeah, these teams can certainly turn it around. Mm. Uh, another notable injury who, again, is, you know, just came coming in off the wire. Uh, it's looking like Prince Fielder uh, for the Texas Rangers is going to have his neck operated on for Yeah, a he hasn't done it yes. yet, right? He's... They've temporarily right. scheduled it for Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So they have not done it yet. But the plans are in place to have him miss the season, which is strange for fans here in Detroit because Texas is coming to Detroit. It's the first series between the two teams since they had the Prince Fielder-Ian Kinsler trade. Mm -hmm. Prince Fielder not leaving Detroit on the best terms. And fans were looking forward to booing him coming here. Said he didn't make the trip. Uh, they're talking about this injury. I can understand, you know, maybe not wanting to, you know, face face the music, face the critics, but if it's, a, if it's an injury, that's pretty serious. Well, think about, like, also think about it, like, from their perspective, like, I mean, they, they don't have to worry about this now mm. themselves. Right. Because he's no longer with them. Exactly. So anybody that was, like, kind of questioning it before is now a little relieved, I'd say, that they, you know, don't have to be without him they're already without him right so i don't know it's, it's interesting stories to note as we get into our red zone where we have the predictive element of our show now usually during football season it's all about you know the lines and you know picking against the spread and we break down those games but during the off season we you know hit the three big sports stories and we started the 20 yard line with horse racing and it's one of those years where we are looking forward to the Belmont Stakes. Now, the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the Triple Crown with the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and then the Belmont. It's one of those hit-or-miss events as far as the national public eye and people tuning in. And it's all dependent on which horse won the first two races. And this year, there's a strong contender in California Chrome. There's definitely a lot more, I'd say, excitement around it when this kind of thing happens compared to usually, you know, it starts out, you know, with the first race, which is the the promenade. It's, it's the one that everybody... The fancy yes, hats. Yes. yes. And then kind of dies down because usually we don't have somebody that's, you know, going towards this. Uh, but I think, like, the excitement kind of stays around it whenever you do have somebody that is going for a triple crown. Uh, absolutely, and I was watching the Preakness just happened to fall in a place where I was briefly at my hotel in Arizona and just watched the, those couple minutes. And she's like, "California Chrome, I we can watch the Belmont. Like people will care about it." Yeah, so, I mean, so it's what like, is it coming around that last corner? 
I think he was sitting in third place, and he just, <laughs> I mean, nobody was going to catch him. They ran a perfect race, and the thing about the Belmont, I mean, especially in the past several years, we've seen several horses falter at this stage. Uh, you know, horses like Big Brown was a notable one. Uh, Barbaro is the one that comes to a lot of people's minds, uh, you know, the horse that broke his leg coming out of the stable and there were a couple weeks where they tried to rehabilitate him and it just would not work they had to put the horse down there was a lifetime movie made about it so i mean it's been a tough you know few instances in fact in 2012 there was actually a horse and i'm trying to remember the name of it it's escaping me at the moment but there was a horse who did win the first two races and then was a no-go for the belmont like just wasn't wasn't ready. It's some sort of injury or had to be pulled for some reason or another, and that really deflated uh, the hopes of that year. So I think he's got to be like thirty some horse, and I'm sure this article has the statistic in here. But since 1978, uh, there has been no Triple Crown winner in horse racing. Uh, Affirmed is the last one to do so. And it's exciting to you know possibly see this sort of event happen. Um, but also the the story that was kind of surrounding this was the um, and everybody always says compares it to those breathe right strips that people uh, wear yeah, when they yeah. sleep. Mm-hmm. The uh, the nasal uh, strips that the yeah. the horse wears when it when it runs. Yeah, yeah apparently I, had a cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently, in the past, uh, horses at the Preakness have not been allowed to wear these for some reason or another, and it was just you know like a couple days ago that they confirmed they are allowed to wear them, and everyone was like, "Well, this makes him the favorite." And I was like, "Wasn't he the favorite already?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was heavily favored in the Preakness here, and you know, this is apparently a year, according to analysts, where there are not a lot of strong third-year horses, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, the older horses that have more experience. Not many good ones in that field, so uh, he will be the favorite. Uh, wouldn't that have been something if he wasn't able to show because of a nasal strip? And uh, but at the same time, it's like you have two weeks. Get your horse together. Like yeah, yeah you can exactly. do that. And I mean, the other thing that's interesting about this horse, like you know, a couple others, you know, uh, ones that have specifically had movies about them, and is the the breeding that behind this horse is mm. a little different than a lot of those. Uh, those thoroughbreds that that uh you know people they were just made for racing. This comes from a little bit of a different line. I don't uh, know this. What is, what's that about? Uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure like the the owner was talking about it. How um, it wasn't bred with um, the superior horses they usually use to breed. Like mm-hmm. the the father wasn't yeah. something or other and. Um, like, I think that adds a little more to the story, of course, like, it's not as, you know, this horse, whenever it was coming up, like, when he bought it, he didn't buy it for as much money, because it it just wasn't bred the right way, and it's still doing just fine, you know? That is magical, and it's gonna be one more wrinkle when they make the next movie. Oh, they, I'm sure, I mean, as soon as he wins it, I'd say, (laughs) it's just gonna be like, oh, well, movie rights right away. And get Toby Maguire to play Victor Espinosa because that makes sense. But he was the Jackie and Sea Biscuit, so you got to have that. You see what I did there? Okay. We got to ask the question here. We make the play on Down the Sidelines, the predictive elementary show. 
Will California Chrome win at Belmont? Does it happen? Do we see the Triple Crown? What do you think, Joel? I mean, I, I, I want it to happen because I think it's uh, it's probably, you know, the most exciting thing in horse racing that's still around is that so when something like that kind of happens, it's been a long time since we've seen it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know, like, I, the, the fact that it's set up like this, I want to watch. I think there's a lot of other people that kind of feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I, you feel like most people, that's what they're rooting for. So, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, sure, why not, just wow. because... I don't know. It would make it more exciting, I think. But uh, it, it would be kind of sad, though, if it came down to, like, just, like, a few inches or something. <laughs> oh, that would be the worst. Of course, that you could still make best. a movie out of that, so. <laughs> now, June 7th is the date of the race. So we're still a couple weeks away, believe it or not. And so, I don't know, maybe by the next time we have an episode, no, it'll be really close. We'll see how the next episode falls and see when that happens. I think it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah, there are too many heartbreaks. That uh, Horse racing needs this, and you're right. It's, it's not at the, the pinnacle of you know, American sports you know, attention like it used to be. But I think for horse racing's sake, and there is, it feels different this time around. It's not just like the big horse that's going to dominate everything. It's just the jockey's riding well. Yeah. The horse is riding well. There's a, a teamwork there. It's not as strong of a field, maybe because of that lack of attention in this uh, the horse racing world. I'd like to see it get it done. I'll, I'll say you know, there's a 60% chance that happens. It seems like they're doing everything right, like the trainer and everything. I mean, keeping that horse's health up is the biggest concern, I think. And I think as long as they do that, I don't see why they can't win. Uh, versus the field, I'd say California Chrome versus the field. I think that's the reason I feel positive about it because I don't feel like there's anybody else that's just going to completely dominate the whole thing. No, I hear you. I hear you. Let's go to the ten yard line. The NHL playoffs. Yes, I mean right around this May June sports time, uh, we're going to be talking about these playoffs, and that's what happens when you have excuse me two sports that run their playoffs at around the same time, and both are in the conference finals, and so. We tried to predict some of these last week when we had decap and Skull upsets, Jumper on the show. Upsets, upsets. <laughs> they didn't necessarily turn out the way they thought they would, especially in the Eastern Conference the of the East NHL so play. Weird. Oh, my goodness. And we were thinking it's going to be Boston. It's going to be Pittsburgh. It's going to be heavy hitters. It's going to be the one-two going at it again for another great series. And I got to get your opinion Pittsburgh Penguins fan at home, Game 7, New York Rangers, Henrik Lundqvist, five straight Game 7s when he gives up a goal or less. It's clutch. It's amazing. Uh, The Penguins fire their GM. And, you know, Dan Bilesma, their coach, his future's up in the air depending on the next hire. I mean, where's your head at, a Penns fan? Well, I mean, usually when you're up... Uh, three games to one, and you've you know pretty much dominated the series to that point. You don't really expect that to happen. No. Um, that I, I mean, they choked. I mean, they choked hard. And uh, 
I, I don't know. I mean, you know, credit to the Rangers and everything, but really, they just did not play like they wanted to win anymore, which is, uh, I don't know, just the way that they were dominating the series before that, I, I didn't really expect that. Again, we were talking about the one game that the Rangers did win before. It was very close, and, um, you know, I just really didn't expect it at all. Mm. Um, what's funny about that is that I was actually more shocked because I've, I've seen the penguins choke a couple of times, like in the, pl- the playoffs specifically after having really great seasons, mm. Boston, I oh. cannot believe that is, that blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, three, two, but, uh, they're up. And then Canadians steal the last two. Uh, that, that's, that was surprising. That was, we were all picking Boston to go on and, you know, their size, their strength, that's amazing. Now I can tell you the 3-1 Hurts uh, Detroit Red Wings against the Blackhawks last year is the same thing. Um, so I understand what you're going through. I feel your pain. But no, you're totally right. The Canadians' young, scrappy team. Interesting storyline happening after the game was over. Game 7, mm-hmm. Milan Lucic. Kind of pulling a scumbag move. I don't know if you ever got around to seeing or if any listeners got to see in the Red Wings series with the Bruins. Uh, Danny DeKaiser is a defenseman for the Red Wings, and Lucic is skating behind him. I mentioned this on the show previously. He gets the mm-hmm. stick up yeah. in between his twigs and berries. Uh, kind of a scumbag move from behind. Like, not accidental, very intentional. Milan Lucic is also someone who does the chest pounding when he scores a goal, even if it's an empty net goal. So throughout the series, Canadians players are kind of mocking him in a way, doing, you know, similar kinds of celebrations or or something like that. And Lucic, in the handshake line, one of the traditions in sports, stops these two individuals and just, you know, mouthing off to them, not happy, uh, you know, the camera's kind of obscuring what he's saying. Players aren't saying what is being said after the game. They're trying to, oh, it's, you know, keep it on the ice. You don't need that to be a story. And then reporters are saying that it's, he's telling them, I'm going to effing kill you next year. Oh, oh, class, classy guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that Milan Lucic. So, scumbag. What are you going to do? Uh... But now we're at the Canadians and Rangers. Uh, we're a couple games deep. And the Rangers take two in Montreal. Yeah. And the first one wasn't even close. Just 7-2. to two, Shellacking. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a beatdown. Uh, what else have you picked up from this series? I don't know. It just... Uh... You kind of lost your interest? I... I... I mean, you can't really blame me, but uh, uh, you do I mean, a sports show. I come on. I, I, like, I guess I, I kind of feel like I got to root for the Rangers just because I can't root for the Canadians. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Canada's, la- Canada's last hope. I, I mean, they. I, I think a lot of people would say that. I mean, they took out the favorites. I would say. I mean, the, the defending champs and yeah. Um, oh no, wait, Blackhawks. Yeah, Blackhawks are the defense. <laughs> what am I yeah. saying? Um, I think that was just my mind wishing that yeah, the Bruins won <laughs> last year. Exactly. I'm glad um, you're on the same page. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'd say 
what you know, I'd say if the Rangers win the next game, it's probably over. It's, uh, it's really much over. I know like, with uh, the Sharks choking 3-0 this year against the Kings, it rarely happens. But the way the two teams are playing right now and Montreal losing Carey Price, uh, their goaltender, that's, it's a big hit. I mean, Montreal, I mean, they, they played really tough series against the Bruins. They might just be, like, wiped out. Yeah, absolutely. So. But, yeah, losing the first two at home, never a good recipe in a seven-game series. Uh, series in uh, any sport, really. Mm-hmm. When we go over to the West, though, with the Chicago Blackhawks and the LA Kings, the Kings also putting down a beatdown in Game 7 against the Ducks. Tamu Solani's last game turns out to be. Uh, I think that was also a 7-2 game. That was like 5 to nothing really early, so was not much of a Game 7. And then you had Chicago beating Minnesota. Uh, this one is tied up at 1. Yesterday's game, you know, you had Chicago winning the first game. Chicago's up 2-1 to one in the third period. And then L.A. scores five goals. Or maybe it was one to nothing. The point is, Chicago's up by one. L.A. scores just five goals in the third period and just blows them out. It's, that's crazy. So, it's one to one. L.A. takes the home ice advantage back to L.A. for game three. How do you see that one shaking out? I don't know. I feel like I still, I still feel like Chicago is the better team overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, they still have like a lot of the key players from last year, and um, I don't. Know, I mean, again, I, I like it. Just seems like when it comes down to the the wire, like specifically last year. I mean, like they they were put in that position when they're pushed against the wall. They just they find a way to win somehow. So. I, you know, this year especially, I mean, already, you know, with St. Louis, two to nothing. You know, St. Louis wins those two overtime games in St. Louis, and Chicago's like, all right, we're just gonna take the next four. Yeah, it's <laughs> like they they decide, okay, wait, what are we doing? We could win, like. <laughs> and in most cases here, I'd agree with you. Uh, however, you do have Jonathan Quick, <laughs> and an offense that can just light it up mm-hmm. like that. So I'm going to go with my gotten who I like here, and you are making the play here is who plays in the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with L.A. on this one, mostly because I want the variety uh, in the teams, and you know Chicago did win it last year. I do agree with that. I think Chicago has the better overall team, but that doesn't seem to work out in this year's playoffs, so yeah. <laughs> go figure on that one. I'm going to go with L.A., uh, a hotter goaltender, and I think it's starting to put it together on that last game, the offense especially, five goals in a period, that's that's incredible. Do you think, regardless of who wins that series, they are favored against whoever wins from the East? I think so, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think, even though you're knocking out the heavy hitters from the East, uh, I don't necessarily see the playoff depth. I, I mean, Chicago winning last year, and then L.A. only a couple years prior, uh, those teams have made deep playoff runs. Yeah. When was the last time you've seen the New York Rangers go this deep? The last time no. they went to the finals? Yeah. 1994. The Canadiens? I, 1993. I, I definitely think it's going to wear on them more, uh, just not being used to going this far. And, and we'll, we'll see if you know, New York decides to sweep and they're sitting around for a while. You know, maybe that help, you know, helps or hurts with the time off. 
if Chicago and Los Angeles have a drawn out series, maybe that hurts when if they're just, you know, just a very brutal physical series. But I'd like to see New York and LA. I think that'd be great for the NHL, you know, cross country sort of uh, series for the Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, for a team like the Rangers, I, I mean, granted, give, you know, credit to Montreal, and that'd be great for Canada and that storied franchise. But I think the Rangers, for as long as they had, they've been trying to make deep playoff runs. And to have a run like this, I think it'd be great for them. Yeah. But I, I do see it's New York and LA myself. You agree? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, like, I think it's, um, you know, uh, well, actually, no, I, I think, uh, like I was saying, I think it'd be Chicago okay. and New York, which, I mean, there's still, still a kind great, of a rivalry there, in a that's way. That's still a great market, uh, you know, Chicago and New York, uh, that'd be, that'd be pretty you just, you just You wouldn't have as many, you know, people out west caring as much, probably, that's unless true. you have hidden fans somewhere. No, that's, that's definitely true. Over in the NBA at the five-yard line, last story we're covering today on down the sidelines at the NBA playoffs, who are also in the conference finals. Uh, and it's kind of an opposite story with the West and the East and how you know close those series are at the moment. Uh, you did have the Thunder eventually beat the Clippers, uh, really unfortunate, you know, hoping that the Clippers had a deep run. I think they have a good future ahead of them, but especially once they get the Donald Sterling stuff passed. Another story that's popping up is on June 3rd, they're having the meeting with the owners to do the vote to hopefully, knock on wood, oust Donald Sterling as owner and uh, his, his wife. Didn't, and didn't, uh, didn't Mr. LeBron James make a statement on... Uh... He did through someone else, and then there was some backpedaling. One. Oh, it did. was uh, it was somebody that was involved with like the players. Um, yeah, yeah. Who spoke? He said he spoke with LeBron, and yeah, there was still some backpedaling there. But it was talking like you know, if Sterling's still the owner next year, like I won't play. You have a contract. You're gonna get yeah, paid. Yeah, gotta. Like, <laughs> uh, very interesting though. So, and then San Antonio just they've been showing their depth and. Great basketball players, you know, good basketball team plays the fundamentals. Yeah. So Oklahoma City and San Antonio in the West, the big loss though, the loss of Serge Ibaka for the Thunder, losing that interior presence, and he was the third offensive option. That's been killing him. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's you know you do have you know some dynamic scores and uh, i mean they can they can i mean really score but uh when you can't you know get easy points inside when you can't block shots that kind of thing it's tough absolutely and they're trying to rely on more offense but then when russell westbrook and kevin durant don't show up like it happened in game two it's it's a blowout and, yeah it's it ugly i was like uh, 112 76 around there not that bad but Pretty close. In fact, I'm, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to. What was this score right here? One twelve seventy seven. Not not yeah. that far off. I mean, that you you have an experienced team that everybody expects to be in the finals. I mean, if you don't show up, that's what they're going to do to you. So, no, it's that series is looking to be over. And granted, the first two games are at San Antonio. Oklahoma City's coming back home. Where do you go from there? I, you have the MVP. I get that, Kevin Durant. But you, you're talking about a couple players versus a cohesive yeah, team. It's like, yeah, They're it's like hard to pass inside yourself. Like, you know, oh, exactly. Get your so, own rebounds and 
If they had Ibaka, I think it'd be a closer series. And, you know, game one was pretty close, you know, within 10 or so, but I don't see that series lasting long. I think you see San Antonio moving on. And then in the East, so, again, a flip-flop between the West and East and the NHL and the NBA and how close they are. In the East, you had the blowout. They're starting to become a blowout series in the NHL. In the East, it's it's Miami, it's Indiana, it's what ESPN always wanted. It's perfectly right for them. Uh, they get to you know, hype it up, especially since ESPN is the broadcasting partner for the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Indiana wins game one at home since they are the number one seed. Miami comes back and takes game two. Uh, what do you see with this series? Uh I mean, I just kind of feel like the way that the Pacers were playing, you know, towards, like, the end, closer to when the playoffs started, like, it, I just wasn't feeling them as much as... At the beginning of the season, I think everybody was ready to declare them champions of the NBA. Yeah. Um, but uh, just, I don't know, it, like, it, it kind of feels like it's the playoffs, you know, Miami has all these players that know exactly what to do. And uh, can make big shots. I mean, that, that's the other thing. When the game is close, like, I mean, you just give it to one of them and they probably score. Mm. So, I, I, I mean, that's why I'm kind of leaning towards the Heat. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the back-to-back champion experience is going to be a big factor for the Heat. And I think it's what makes the difference. I mean, all of ESPN's experts, they all pick the Heat. Whether it's in 5, 6, 7, it doesn't matter. But... That's you know how much of the uphill battle that the Pacers have to climb. Granted, they're showing some moxie to yeah. you know First put up this much fight, uh, but I think it's not going to last that much longer, um, especially once the Heat come back home and start winning those games. Though, in a way, I can't lose. <laughs> See, the Heat and the Spurs that's going to you know be a good series. It'll be all right for the NBA. But if the Heat happened to lose, my prediction at the beginning of the basketball season was that it would be the NBA market nightmare of the NBA Finals with the Pacers and the Spurs. And so there is the possibility for this to still hold true. I'm just saying, it could happen. I mean, yeah, they really need the Heat to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what, yeah, they what it comes down to. Um, I mean, yeah, they would they would love a Heat Thunder matchup. And I don't want to count the Thunder totally out of it, but good luck beating a healthy, clicking on all cylinders team like that when you're missing one of the biggest pieces. I mean, pieces. I almost feel like if if the Thunder can come come back and meet the Spurs, I think that they'd be favored against the yeah. Heat. I agree. That, that, that's very tough to do. If it, I, I just don't really see how they're going to do it right now. Um, again, like you said, they're lacking an interior presence, and uh, it just feels like inside Spurs can do what they want. So absolutely. All right. So who plays the NBA Finals? Uh, we both have both have the Heat Rematch. and the Spurs. But I would not be opposed to seeing a Pacers upset, just so I can say. I was right. <laughs> and then, I mean, like, how many games do you actually watch? Like <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. You, may, you prove the NBA's point that it's a, a demographics and market nightmare for them. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Anything else, you know, coming up in the next couple of weeks that we got to keep in our keeping our eyes on? I mean, you know, we can. I I mean, if you're, you know, you've watched sports at all, I'm sure that you like heard at least something about the NBA draft because there, or not the NBA, the NFL draft because there were a lot of storylines to come out of it. Um, Johnny Manziel's being a good pro. He's not talking too much. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm. It's. I, I will admit. Um, it. I mean, it's kind of turned into. Uh, anytime there's, uh, really, anytime there's quarterbacks that aren't taken, when people think they should be taken, it's turned into a very drama-filled thing. Yeah. The, the draft, and it, I think it's one of the ways they get people to keep watching. Honestly, because. Um, uh, you know, not everybody is really cares as much about where somebody's going to go because a lot of them aren't going to play for a year or two, anyways. Um, but I, I don't know. It's is it like we were saying? It's interesting to see. Like uh, you were talking, I think you were tweeting at Tony about. Is this how the um, yeah the, <laughs> that, the, that draft, movie, the, draft, the draft day movie ends? Um, and it's certainly something because every day you turn on ESPN, it th- somebody is talking about this. He's lighting um, it up, money, money. Yeah. So I mean, this is exactly what Cleveland wanted. They want all this attention. They want people to come to the games, even if they still lose by a couple touchdowns. It doesn't matter because they're getting people to come to the games. They're trying to turn things. You know, if there's one thing that they did that was like just kind of impressed me more than anything else they took that cornerback yeah early he was not going to be there at that pick that they picked johnny manzel oh no which is what i who mean they traded up to get yeah. yeah who they traded up to get i feel like the old cleveland browns probably would have taken johnny manzel right away mm. um for, and they traded back for yeah Gilbert, they and, then, pick. and then you you know your your lions um Still got a receiver, technically. Um, Did we talk about that? Did we? Was was we were doing the predictions last episode? Was that it? Oh my god! You you mentioned the possibility of them trading up to get Samuel. a yeah a, a receiver, you know, like yep. a all purpose receiver. Yeah. Um, they go with the tight end at ten. At number ten. Eric Ebron, I mean, welcome to Detroit, but seriously, why did we take you at number 10? There have only been, I think, well, four times, I think what's the statistic was running around, four times that tight ends have been taken in the top 20 picks all time. I don't I mean, think I don't think Heath Miller was one of those. Either. No. I think they got him outside like of there. Third or fourth pit round, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kellen Winslow Jr. was in there. What, no, where was, was it? Where was Tony Gonzalez? It was like seventh round, or un, or no, maybe it was a fourth. Antonio Gates famously undrafted. Uh, Rob Zimkowski, third round. Mercedes Lewis, I think he was, was one high up. I mean, Vernon Davis was also really high up. High up I there. think, respectively, so because his combine stuff was off the charts. Like, I mean, he's he's a freak. Yeah, there was like the stat running around there like four times in the last you know handful of years, whatever it was, that tight ends have been taken in the top twenty, and the Detroit Lions have two of those picks. 
I mean, Brandon Pettigrew, who they tried to shop around a free agency, he was number 20 overall pick a few years ago. He drops passes like crazy. He's a good run blocker, but his, he's got hands of stone. They're, they're, they're clawed. They're, they might as well just be nubbins that the ball is. He, it drives me crazy, and it drove everyone crazy that they just add another weapon for Matthew Stafford, and if he doesn't have a big year, that's insanity. Do you think he's, like, right into the lineup right away, or do you think that... I think they'll try to mix him in, uh, but at the same time, you draft someone that high. Again, I don't know. I don't. I didn't watch him much in college, so I have no idea if he was, if he was kind of all around you tight end. Much, or... much of a college career. That's the thing. Like they take these raw picks. Like Ziggy Ansah. Ziggy Ansah turned out pretty well last year, at BYU, and then they get his uh his roommate at BYU for Kyle Van Noy, the linebacker, and so those two are going to have you know a great time playing together, but. They take these raw players and at the highest picks. Did was there, did you like any of their other picks? Uh, I like the Kyle Van Noy pick. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest were kind of just middle of the road. They took a kicker, which I think they needed. They mm-hmm. did need a kicker, uh, so that'll be good. Here's the thing: like sometimes when it's a bad draft, it turns out to be good in the long run because it doesn't wow you anything. I wasn't really wowed by any of the picks. Uh, but then I'm looking at teams like the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. and the Oakland Raiders and the St. Louis Rams. And I'm looking at like these teams just on paper gut reaction had notably, markably better drafts than the Detroit Lions. And what the hell are we doing? Pittsburgh mm-hmm. had a good draft. And it, I, you know, the other thing that's interesting about that is that uh, the, if there was one thing that I thought that they needed the most was a like a high profile corner. Um, like, you know, one of the top five or six corners, and they were in position to get at least two of those guys, and they decided not to. They went with exactly what pretty much probably everybody else thought they would do. They <laughs> got a 3-4 linebacker, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, I'm sure there's a little distaste there, Ohio State. Yeah, but he seems to be a fast linebacker that can cover and, and rush. I mean, he's pretty much a prototypical Steeler linebacker. And uh, I can't be upset with something like that. I, I said they'd go defense, and they went defense. And uh, just kind of what they do. I wish I could say that. Damn. But, uh, they needed, they needed wide receivers. They needed cornerbacks. They... They need defensive players, and that was pretty much what I thought they needed. So, I think they they did a good job covering that. I would we had wish we had decaf here because <laughs> Cowboys. Oh, that was Sitting that was man. one of the best points of the whole thing. Johnny Manziel still on the board. Come on, Jerry. He was you heard decaf last episode. He was saying if Cowboys quarterback there, they'll probably take a quarterback. It was so tempting. I imagine the seats that could be filled. Big old AT&T Stadium. <laughs> they pass on. They make the smart move. Going Zach Martin, left tackle, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. The right move. Oh, they could have had Jada Fobal. Well, I, I mean, Jason Garrett was a backup quarterback to Troy Aikman. Yeah. So. <laughs> Are you saying Johnny Football could have been the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> later down the line when his career is all said and done? It sounds like that's what you're saying here. I mean, that guy could probably, when he's older, run for some kind of office and win <laughs> in Texas. He is that I, I, he I is. mean, that's well. There are the preliminary talks that Kyle Field is Kyle Field, the house that Johnny built. 
the preliminary talks going on right now. There, I mean, I've heard people say that's what Mac Brown should do now. I don't. I mean, who knows? It's no. it's that is football and politics. Down they mix in Texas, all, they, they mix more than they should. Down in Texas, especially. <laughs> no, nah, very interesting draft overall. Uh, yeah. You did have Jadavian Clowney going number one. Uh, number two was the left tackle from mm-hmm. Texas A&M, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he went to oh, um, the, the fo- yeah, the football family continues in the NFL. Um, the Matthews. Mm-hmm. There's, right. you know, the, what was it, like the grandfather, the dad, the, um, the brothers... There's been like uh, three number one draft picks in that family mm, altogether. That's, that's right. And I think he became the highest picked one of them all. That's right. Yeah. And he was like related to Clay Matthews. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. That's right. Uh, then you had Blake Bortles going number three to the Jaguars. Uh, that's, that's surprising. But yeah, yeah. Both kid, Florida. Uh, I, I think I think he. Helped himself with his bull performance, the combine, and all that stuff, and I, I think, I think that talks probably started early. That mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how it is. If you if you have an agent that can get you with certain teams early and get you in there, I think that's how it happens. Because otherwise, a lot of people would have said Johnny Manziel, and I'm sure I'm sure Johnny Manziel probably actually would have been happy with that too. Because yeah. you know, to be in that, you got to think climate wise, that's probably would have been a little bit better too, but. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Johnny Manziel in the mud in the snow. Right. <laughs> what, what what he's what he's gonna do there? Hey, and, if Johnny uh, Manziel starts that first game against the Steelers, look out. Uh, we gotta correct. I gotta. I can't wait. Souls. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can. Uh, Greg Robinson out of Auburn was the uh, left tackle that was taken yeah. to the Rams, and Jake Matthews was number six to the Falcons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Bills trade up. You know next year's first-round draft pick and and more to go get Sammy Watkins at four. That was surprising. Uh, you better be an all-pro at that point because that's a big risk. And then Khalil Mack goes at five to the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, the, who, who got the um, – oh, what's the kid's name? Out of LSU, the, the, the wide receiver LSU. Oh, uh, his name I can't was – Dor- Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, as the Giants. All right. Oof, man, that's that's gonna be uh, a sticky hands receiving core. Absolutely, Jeez. absolutely. And then Taylor Lewan out of Michigan to the Titans at number eleven. So that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Mike Evans at number seven to the Buccaneers, where I thought Johnny Manziel was gonna go. That's where I predicted on last episode. Uh, wide receiver, Texas A&M. You know, Buccaneers, big, tall receivers. Then he went and did a really awkward interview with Jim Rome. Like, really awkward, short answers. And uh, if you want to listen to that one, you know, Mike Evans' interview with Jim Rome within the past couple weeks. Well, uh, and how was it the, the Browns traded up like two or three spots to get Johnny Manziel? Yeah, it was a few. Well, they, I mean, they did that specifically because there was some team in there. Who was it? There was somebody. Was it the Cardinals? Or, no, no, wait. Was it the Chiefs, maybe? Maybe. Some, there was some team in there that I think was getting ready to, to make that deal. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. really, I mean, when it got to that point in the draft, 
we were looking at it and it was hard to find teams that you could and usually you don't have that problem usually there's a lot of teams that are a mess at quarterback and don't have somebody lined up at that certain spot but uh I, I it, a lot of people thought it would be the Browns that ended up being the Browns. Yeah. It just wasn't where they expected it to be. Oh, exactly. And then if you believe the stories, Johnny's saying, you know, come up and draft me. Like, uh, let's let's wreck this league together. And then they're printing the wreck this league shirts. And Yes, there's a big stuff. list of teams on his list that he does not like <laughs> now. So Exactly. So there we go. So our, our NFL draft reactions there. So, yeah, in a couple weeks, more playoffs. I'm sure we'll have the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals, and we'll be you know, starting to predict those. Maybe the Belmont will have run by then. Uh, we'll see about it's, that. And it's going to be the the Canadians and the and the Spurs and the... <laughs> and all the teams uh, you don't want to watch, exactly. Yes. The, and the, then... The, exactly. E3. But that's not sports. Although, hey, esports. Esports is one thing. EA's press conference. EA Sports. EA Sports Ignite. If it's in the game, it's in the game. Hey, the big get, deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying. I, NHL on next gen, and yeah, they're still doing a cross. Can I can I put on my Oculus Rift and throw the football and catch Maybe. it? <laughs> Maybe if EA wants a piece of that pie. Uh, that's almost like going back to the you know, NFL 2K5 days, though. Because <laughs> people love that game. For the first person perspective. No, the question is, you know, like what NBA player, what NFL player, who are they going to bring on stage? Because they've done that a lot. Is it gonna, I mean, they've had Kobe up there. They, you know, you don't know. Sure, EA does like to bring up the talent. I mean, Sony had Kobe. Uh, but yeah, it was Ray Lewis the one year, and... Was it? They didn't have anyone really for Madden during their press conference. They just had the guy up on stage. But yeah, well, they had Drake talk about FIFA, and they had the John Bones Jones and Benson Henderson. I was watching all these press conferences because I'm I do. What did you think of Ray Lewis at the draft? Do you think he did all right? Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you have a less than. You know, stellar opinion of him being. You well, know, Ravens, I mean, you know, I, I mean, like I, I did like to hear his insight on, like defensive players specifically. I mean, he knows a little more than that, but um, like to see that, like whenever they would talk about people, because I think, if anything, that's one of the problems that they have whenever they do their little analysis each time someone's announced, they don't necessarily. They can talk about all this stuff because you've got you know two guys who it's their job to predict the draft, yeah. but you don't really have that player mentality thing or at least guys who played recently <laughs> talking about it so yeah no, i mean like doing todd 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 yeah, todd that, I mean, that was kind of nice like just that part so i thought he did all right yeah. I, he certainly did better job than Deion sanders did i'll tell yeah. you that much because Deion was just like yo man so proud of you man god bless you know handshakes and all that on nfl network so it was a bit much Deion sandcastle whatever his name was <laughs> Because oh, that was the thing. Well, anything I think that about covers it for Down the Sidelines here, episode 63. Uh, we'll catch you in a couple weeks' time, and we'll bring you more sports news and predictions. With that, I'm Peter. I'm Joel. Hope you enjoy the week in sports. We'll see you.